thanks, Lauren, for uh, leading us to the table. I love that imagery of sort of taking the table with us. While in school, um, did a civil rights tour, uh, Nashville to Atlanta to Montgomery to Birmingham to Memphis. And it was in Nashville, the very first stop where we're in the civil rights. Uh, they have a civil rights museum sort of exhibit in the Nashville Public Library downtown. And they have this really great um, uh, display that includes videos uh, of uh, civil rights activists uh, practicing in the basement of churches. So they would practice what it was like to be at a sit-in in the basement of churches. So they all gathered. They'd um, figure out who were going to be the um, uh, antagonists uh, who would scream and yell and spit on the people who were um, doing the sit-in. And it struck me as a really appropriate I think, imagery for what church worship gatherings should be. Um, in that, uh, we practice here how we're going to behave in the world. That gathered together, we... Um, enlist one another um, into the kind of ethic we're going to have uh, as we engage our neighbors and the world around us. Uh, and so I was having that in mind and listening to Lauren, this invitation of taking the table with us, I was, uh, I was struck by the practice of giving thanks. Uh, and some Sundays I just hate it because, you know, I could be grumpy and I don't want to talk about what I'm thankful for. Um, but this rhythm of saying, this is what I'm thankful for today, feels like a really good rhythm to have in a world um, where sometimes it feels like there's not much to be thankful for. Uh, the rhythm that we have of, of uh, plates and cups dropping uh, during worship, <laughs> um, not knowing what one of the kids may or may not do, and not being anxious about it or feeling like we have to... Um, well, I don't know. I'll speak for myself. They're not my kids most of the time, so I'm not in stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, what? I just said most of the time. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Most of the time, yeah. Uh, that our children aren't an interruption to our worship. Right? They're not um, uh, the, the, the church of the future. Uh, they're part of God's church now, right? I, just, I think these are good ways to, to live and to be in the world. So the last uh, two weeks, we've been talking about vo- vocation and uh, used the frame of the three voices of vocation uh, to talk about this posture and place that we have in the world. So talk about the voice of our identity, the voice of our context, and the voice of God. Um, that we need to pay attention to who we are, how we're wired, those particular longings and passions is that Imago Day, how God created us uh, for the sake of our engagement in the world. And we need to pay close attention to our context. Uh, this is uh, where we work and who we work with. Uh, it's our homes, it's our neighborhoods, it's third spaces. And we also need to attend to the voice of God. Uh, that is that mysterious other that's pulling us deeper into God's longing for a world that is just and merciful and good and beautiful. And so the last couple of weeks, I've um, tried to talk about a few things. Uh, last week, talked about the kingdom of God, particularly as Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in parables. 
And he offers up these really small and ordinary mundane things, mustard seed and yeast and treasures that are hidden to describe God's kingdom, God's reign and coming into the world. And so it is the small and the ordinary and the mundane where we often find God. I've uh, talked um, about every moment of human flourishing is a moment that God cares about. So the first week I talked about there is no moment uh, where a fruit of the Spirit shows up. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We want to add to that gratitude, um, a bunch of other stuff. There's no moment where any of these things show up um, where that isn't explicitly connected to the life of God. Uh, that no moment of love happens apart from the Spirit of God. Uh, No moment of peace or goodness or generosity or contentedness happens outside of God's sustaining spirit, even if uh, we're not fully aware uh, that it's God's spirit. I told a story about uh, Jennifer last week, which I think is a great example of that. Jennifer, who walks her neighborhood and uh, uh, participates in this really remarkable way with her neighbors and doesn't even really notice um, the ways that it's connected to the life of God. I told the story of Glenn in the hospital, uh, my nurse, uh, who probably most likely didn't have much connection with faith or God, but still for me uh, holds one of the most sacred um, thin spaces in my life, whereas through Glenn where I've experienced the most clearest um, example and tangible uh, expression of how God holds us. And so with all of these things, with this notion of vocation that I'm arguing for, it's not just about work. It's not just about our career. It's not just about our jobs. But it is what kind of posture do we have in the world? Uh, And the primary capacity, I want to argue, is listening and attentiveness. That we have to learn how to pay better attention to who we are. That we have to learn how to pay better attention to the world around us. We have to pay better attention uh, to what God might be up to. So let's start with a little conversation, uh, if we can. Uh, I'm curious, uh, a bit of a risk for the preacher, um, but in the last two weeks, what has captured your attention? Uh, What has sort of stuck out to you and maybe resonated or created a bit of conflict for you? Uh, Maybe you tried the uh, threshold meditation exercise that I invited us into last week. Uh, What was your experience with that? So I'm just curious, given what we've already talked about in the last two weeks, what has um, stuck out to you? What struck your imagination? Yeah, Gary. I like the story of Jennifer. Mm -hmm. It made me realize that there are a lot of little things that I do that I don't really think about, but there are people that I help and neighbors that I, you know, like there's an 83-year-old man at the complex and I give him rides to the grocery store. It's little stuff like yeah. that. I don't even think about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And it's great because um, I, I love Jennifer's story and your connection with it for two reasons. One, and I said this last week, uh, that uh, God's kingdom breaking into the world isn't dependent on our awareness of it, which that's good news to me because I know how distracted and busy I am. Uh, and if God's kingdom was dependent on my awareness of it, we'd all be uh, uh, in a little bit of trouble. And secondly, uh, it's good news that God continues to invite us in really small ways uh, to be God's hands and feet in the world. Uh, thanks, Gary. Someone else? Yeah. Uh, I think that 
for me. Yeah. I, uh, I really like this idea of like the, the three different voices. And for me, they're really connected. So like mm-hmm. learning my voice and learning who I am really helps me learn who God is. And I can't really, um, I can't sort of like learn the three voices in like little silos because they just don't yeah. work properly yeah. like that. Like they're all connected. And to me, it's like when I'm able to, I don't know, slow down is the right word, or when I'm able to be okay with sort of learning about those and listening to them, then I I feel like I'm more aware of the kingdom of God, and I can sort of like experience the joy of the awareness of it, even yeah. when it's like a small thing, yeah. like you know, yeah. driving the neighbor to the grocery store, whatever it may be. Once there's like an awareness of that, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like really cool. Like it's like, oh, cool. That's like yeah. that's God at work, you yeah. know. Whereas yeah. before, I feel like I just maybe would have noticed it. Yeah. So the last two weeks, um, uh, we've done the dwelling in our vocation exercise, where I invite you to think of a moment of meaning. In the last two weeks, we've gone way over, so I opted not to do it today. But today, we have plenty of time. It's only like 11.15. Um, but I used to, I used, I can't remember if I mentioned this, so forgive me, forgive me if I have. But I, when I would do that exercise with groups, I would follow it up with a second question. Uh, reflect on a moment when you felt God was connected to your life. Or reflect on a moment where you felt God was uh, active. And it was fascinating um, the same group doing these two exercises. One was describe and reflect on a moment of meaning recently. And more times than not, as, as I witness, people really quickly can identify, oh, this is a meaning. It might feel small, but it's a moment of meaning. Uh, but when I would ask the second question, uh, describe a moment we felt God was active in your life, for the most part, it was fairly quiet. Uh, and here's the thing, right? It's the same question, I want to argue, just ask, Two different ways. And, and a part of this attentiveness is identifying um, that the way in which we often think about God's activity in our lives is really, really limited, uh, and that we have so many different experiences, uh, and that when we open ourselves up to pay attention to who we are or to see our neighbors, that it actually opens us up to God at work in really remarkable ways that we never uh, fully notice. And, and I'm really grateful. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but the way in which these three are so interconnected that even to talk about the three voices um, isn't entirely accurate because it's really just one voice uh, that we're trying to attend to. So thanks, Val. Somebody else? Yeah, Terry. whether I should get it to him or whether I should not. And I get 
And this week, it has bothered me the entire, oh. the entire hmm. week that I should have gave him the money hmm. and trust that if I need something that God was going to provide or somebody was going to take care of me. So I've really struggled back and forth this yeah. whole week in that, in the respect that um, I'll spend some quiet time and some prayer time. And this is what God placed in my heart, that come in the new year, I'm just going to carry some cash every week or every month that I have cash on me that's nothing but to give it away. And because I felt really bad about it, but it was, I just felt bad. It just bothered me all weekend. If I could do it all over again, I would do it. But I think that, I don't know, is that, do you do it, do you not? Yeah. So, anyway. Well, thanks for the vulnerability and courage to tell the story. Uh, and uh, your commitment and sense of listening for what the next best step is. Uh, we all have something to learn from that. Thanks, Terry. One more? Thoughts, reflections on what we've been discussing? Yeah, Miles. Uh, so, I think... For me, and it's similar to what Carrie said and, and, and several people have shared, you know, the, the takeaway um, that I've kind of had this past week is to try and be a mediocre Christian. Yeah. Because um, I think that might be an improvement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at times. And um, I, I think for me, I get stuck between, you know, where I am in this moment and this, like, perfect incarnational vision where my entire street becomes a house church spontaneously yeah. and like we're baptizing in the in the community pool and you know and, and just the flowers are blossoming behind us as we walk that path. Right. You know, I mean and a dove descends on the miles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and you know and there's just vision and clarity and all of these things. And when I, I feel like I can't reach that, then I feel like this inertia to not even try. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, you know, if I'm just one of the okayest neighbors on an okay yeah. street with an okay, yeah. you know, love for my neighbors, that probably is an improvement in a lot of ways from, from the things I do now. And so if I, if I set that bar as something that's attainable, yeah. then I keep moving it, of course. Yeah. Um, I like that mentality because it's more welcoming and inviting to me. Yeah. Uh, I listened to a talk this week where a person essentially was saying, if you don't go big or go home, you'll never go anywhere. Uh, it was sort of the antithesis to what I argued for last week, which is you got to dream big, and if you don't dream big, you'll never make movements. And I'm like, you and I would not hang out at a party <laughs> together. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now I'm covering a maternity leave for somebody, and which is from a different job than what I normally do, and kids come into the hospital for this five or six week program, and they go, we work really intensively with them, and then they go back home. And so like, kind of what you hope is like, from where they started to where they leave is going to be this big spectacular difference, and like, yeah. we're going to watch this kid back off, like totally changed. And so this kid, and you, you work with these kids for hours a day for five weeks. And so it is a big investment on your part and on their part. And so you're doing this, and I'm just like, God, oh, like, oh, thank you for all this breakthrough with this kid. This kid that I just really loved working with went home, and then his, he's been home for probably two weeks. So his mom called us and was like, he's totally gone back to the kid he was before. Mm-hmm. 
and I was like, me, like, and it just like really like put me in a funk. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, like, you just want, and I, I feel this way spiritually many times, it's like you want to like do the great spectacular mm-hmm. thing and have this like, look at this pretty thing we did and we worked really hard for, and for God to be like, what if all of your stories end like this? Like, what if you invest really hard in doing things that really the measure was just that you were faithful to doing it yeah. and not like this spectacular thing on the back yeah. end is like really difficult for me to sit with. Yeah. That's well said. It, and to be called back to the moments that we find meaningful and to allow that to be the bar for our own behavior and engagement in the world, right? When we, we reflect on moments of meaning, um, by and large, they're pretty small and ordinary, right? And to give ourselves the grace of doing the next thing. Um, have, have, I, have we talked about uh, Sister Teresa Lousseau, the little flower? Have I mentioned that before? Uh, so she's a doctor in the Catholic Church, which is like you become a saint and then to become a doctor, it's, you're legit. Um, uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta took her name from Sister Teresa of Lousseau uh, lived in the late 1800s she died I think when she was 24 or 25 Uh, wrote this book um, it was just a memoir when she was 20 or 21 she became uh, she cheated the Catholic system and became a nun when she was like 14 or 15 Uh, And here was her call in life. Her call in life was to love the nuns in her order that everyone else hated. But that was what she discerned was her calling in life, is to love these women that she lived with, that everyone else who lived there couldn't stand. That's it. That's what she committed her very short life to be, and she has this great autobiography, or this memoir. Um, And this woman has become one of the central uh, saints and people that um, Catholic Church points to to say this is how you live your life. And I love that like, her call is so small, right? And it's what Mother Teresa did, right? She, she says our call isn't to do great things. Our call is to do small things with great love. So I've spent the last two weeks primarily trying to talk about the voice of context and the voice of God. But as um, Valerie pointed out, well, these aren't mutually exclusive, right? And I, I, I found um, you and, and Miles sharing last week about this space of disruption and uncertainty uh, to be a great example of that. Um, that you have this question about your context, uh, both the work and where you live, uh, but it's not disconnected from your identity. Like, that's, that's also what you're asking. Like, who, who am I? What does it mean for me to be called to this neighborhood, but also called to my clients and um, and you, you see also a calling from God in that. So these things aren't mutually exclusive. Um, but, but I want to try today to talk about uh, the voice of our identity. Uh, and this, is, this has been really hard for me this week. I've, I've moved through just ignoring it um, to really trying to struggle uh, with it. And I think talking explicitly about this this voice is difficult because it's the most difficult thing for me um, to pay attention to. Uh, and it's, it's been hard this week because uh, I want to be honest with you. I don't, I don't feel the need to be honest when I talk to other groups. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
uh, well, you know, you're my people, and I want to, I want to, I want to honor our relationship by trying to be uh, as honest as I can with as much in- integrity as I can. It's not like I lie when I'm with other groups. It's just it's easier for me to talk about stuff in theory, um, knowing that it's somewhat disconnected from my own experience. Um, so I want to I want to try to be honest. Uh, today, and I want to talk about uh, the voice of our identity by making a few claims uh, about who we are in relationship uh, to God, uh, because I think it has implications for how we um, interact with the world and one another. So here's my first claim. I believe that God is less anxious about our relationship with God than we are. Um, I think God loses less sleep about how we are doing with God than we do. Uh, I've I've spent most of my life uh, wondering if I'm enough. That's been the majority uh, of my inner dialogue is, am I enough? Uh, With the backstory being, I'm clearly not. Uh, deep uh, shame and regret uh, and always wanting to do the next thing to make sure that God and I are on good terms. But I am convinced of this, that God has been far less anxious about my relationship with God than I ever have been, even to this day. And so I want to invite us this morning uh, to cut ourselves a little bit of slack. If one of the beautiful things about the, the testimony of Scripture and God's relationship to the world is that it's really, really just kind of a disaster from beginning to end. Right? God makes this attempt in creation, and it doesn't even last like six verses, and it's all, it all goes to hell. And God's like, okay, let's start this thing up and let's try it again. And then you go forward a couple more chapters, and then dumpster fire... God goes after it again. I mean, the, the story of Scripture is this remarkable story of God in this endless pursuit of creation. And, and I think um, God would want to point to that, particularly God's own self dying and being killed by the creation that God loves, that God would point to it and say, yeah, this is really hard. Like, this isn't easy. And I think because the witness of Scripture is that this whole relationship and living in life isn't easy for God, that he's going to give us a little bit of slack when it's all said and done. That God's going to say, yeah, life was really hard, wasn't it? I've worked in an entire lifetime, which for God is a long time, trying to work this out with you, and so I get it that you didn't always get other people correct. And you didn't even at times get me correct, and it's hard. God is less anxious than we are. Uh, second claim I want to make. Uh, you are not your worst moment. Uh, you are not your worst moment. There's a, there's a truth to 
any preaching, whether someone's done it for a month or for 30 years, that a part of what happens in trying to bring a message is you're also trying to say something that you need to hear. Um, And I, I tell you what, I really need to hear this most days. I was accused uh, throughout of being uh, a minister of being soft on sin. Like those were exact words that were used on two different occasions and by two different people. Uh, and then it was accused in other ways, uh, just not with the exact words, which I always resisted the urge to point out that the Pharisees accused Jesus of that very thing. And so maybe I'm not a terrible company. But I want to I want to argue as we try to attend to who we are uh, that this is really important. And the reason that I was often accused of being soft on sin uh, is because I believe the li- a life that moves towards flourishing, a life that moves towards being connected with God, is far more about being drawn into life of Jesus than it is about stopping doing the wrong things. So in there's a thing called set theory. Uh, there's a thing called bounded set and centered set. And essentially it goes like this. If we are bounded set, that means our lives are ordered around the boundary. And if we're centered set, that means our lives are ordered around a core, a center. So uh, take an elementary school, and they've done research on this. If you put up a fence uh, where uh, kids play at recess, uh, the kids are going to congregate along the edge of the fence. Uh, You could take the fence away and put something in the center, like a playground, and the kids are going to go to the center. I think this is central to what it means to be followers of Jesus, to understand who we are in context of the world and in context of God. That I am less concerned about what we are not doing and more concerned about to whom are we moving. Or to put it another way, Jesus saves us for something, not simply from something. Almost every time, exclusively in the New Testament, When Jesus uses the word repent, it is not connected to sin. It's always connected to the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says repent, when he says turn, he's not simply talking about turning from sin. He's inviting people to turn and move towards the kingdom. Because we cannot, or we we can make every effort to get all the rules right. And to not do sins A, B, and C, and never actually make a move towards the one who calls us. But if our life is centered on the one who invites us into a world of justice and mercy and peace and goodness, all the other stuff takes care of itself. And when we spend our days focusing on our worst moment, we are more than likely to just keep perpetuating that worst moment. So I want to say, you are not your worst moment. I say those two things because um, I believe this. Claim number three. 
nothing can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Uh, Martin Laird has become one of my favorite writers. He's a uh, Franciscan priest, teaches at Villanova. He wrote this great book called Into the Silent Land. And then he talks about God as the ground of our being. And that separation from God is an illusion. That it is impossible to ever be separated from God because God is the ground of our being. So, uh, I mentioned Glenn in the hospital uh, when I was sick and dying. Uh, and, it, and it struck me this morning uh, that all of those stories in that time are close to my heart, not simply because it's pretty formative, uh, but because we're in that season right now. Uh, seven years ago yesterday, that had surgery that saved my life. Now, I, I don't have like I don't have many memories, or uh, my memories of those first nine days aren't linear. Like, it's all sort of a jumbled mess. I was on a lot of painkillers. My kids, I think, still have notes of the crazy things that I said. You should talk to them about it. Uh, but I, but I do remember this this sort of this ache. Um, and this question that grew, uh, it, the question being, am I going to make it? And, and, you know, I was I was really, really sick, and I was in a lot of pain all the time. And I, I, I remember sort of moving from, whew, I hope I can make it. To then, oof, I don't know if I am. Uh, to having serious concerns. And, and the day that I had surgery, and I didn't know I was having surgery at the time, um, because my I was doing so poorly, they, they sent me down for another CAT scan. It was my fifth CAT scan in nine days. And I remember, uh, I remember when the the bed would hit a little bump, a little strip, and it hurt so bad. I remember we had to go across a tile section, like what's up here, and every bump just hurt so bad. And I had to climb on the CAT scan table. And I... I laid there uh, and I, I welcomed death. Um, I knew I, was, I wasn't going to make it. 
and I, I laid on the catskin table, uh, and I just wept. I, I grieved for a wife who's about to bury her brother and lose her husband. I grieved for my kiddos and losing a dad. Um, I grieved for a church that I served, that we had been through hell together with all of these deaths. And I said, okay, God, I'm ready. I had surgery that night. Um, and over the next seven or eight days, started the slow um, movement towards uh, health. And it was the night of Thanksgiving, uh, and I'd, I'd fallen asleep uh, with my arm hanging over the little, um, you know, the little thing that you can't roll out of bed from. And I woke up in the middle of the night. My hand was asleep. Um, and whenever you have any sort of numb body part in the hospital, they kind of freak out, especially in the ICU. And so they wheeled me down to get an ultrasound to make sure I didn't have any blood clots. And this is the this is the fourth time uh, that I had um, had an ultrasound for one of these things, making sure I didn't have any blood clots. And, and it was always in the middle of the night for some reason that they um, that I had to go down, and it was always the same ultrasound tech. Uh, can someone give me Kleenex? Charles has got it. Or no. Oh, Bonnie, could you give me Kleenex? Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, Same ultrasound lady. And she always had a... Of uh, the Christian music radio station playing, which is not a radio station I ever choose to listen to. <laughs> and the, the first, the, the first time that I was in there and mentioned uh, that I was a minister, which she was delighted about uh, and wanted to talk in detail about it. And I wasn't really in a good place uh, with myself or with God, so it wasn't much of interest. So the next two times that I went, I just faked like I was asleep (laughs) so she wouldn't talk to me. Um, But it was Thanksgiving night. uh, And the Christian radio station turns the 24-7 Christmas music on Thanksgiving uh, and it was strange because the first three songs uh, were Frosty the Snowman esque. <laughs> right? It was like Frosty the Snowman. I mean, yeah. really songs that say nothing, but might be an improvement over most on Christian radio. Um, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm being playful. Um. <laughs> um But I, it was the fourth song 
and uh, my uh, favorite hymn of all time came on. Not just favorite Christmas song, uh, but favorite hymn. And I wasn't prepared for the third verse. And as as the third verse played, uh, I began to weep. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. The slave is a brother. At his name, all oppression shall cease. I had uh, plenty of moments leading up to that and plenty of moments um, after that um, where I wondered what in the world God is doing, if anything. I had years after that of being a pastor uh, and not always sure when I got up on Sunday mornings if God even existed. Um. But in that moment, I wept because I believe it's true. And I thought about the oppression of Ryan's death, and I thought about the oppression of all those people in our church who had died that summer, and I thought about my own illness and near death. And for one moment, a moment that has sustained me, I believe it to be true. That in this one named Jesus who has come is the one who sustains all things. That is the ground of our being. And as we engage our world, as we wonder what God might be up to, this is true. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. In all of these things, the preacher in Romans says, we are more than conquerors. For we are convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't, um, I think I mentioned the first week, I'm I'm a terrible career coach. Like, I don't really care about what people do for work. Um, And it doesn't take, it doesn't take much um, uh, attention to notice that really all that I try to do in my work in this whole thing of vocation is invite people into more contemplative posture, more mindful posture, um, to pay attention to the world and themselves, what God might be up to with greater intentionality and thoughtfulness. Um, 
even, even if you strip it back a little bit further, uh, is this truth? That God is the ground of our being. That there is nothing that we've ever done, currently are doing, or one day might do in the future, that can ever separate us from the love of God. That's good news, right? And so, um, I want to invite us into just a few moments of silent reflection. And during the the silence, um, I want to invite us to uh, reflect on uh, this question. Uh, What are the implications uh, for us today uh, if this is true? So I want you to think about um, your context. Uh, work, home, uh, neighborhood. Um, I want you to think about um, how you understand yourself and where you find yourself today. And I want you to think about um, your relationship with God. What what comes to mind um, during the silence um, regarding the implications for your life if this were true? So I invite us to close our eyes Take a few deep breaths. Over the next few moments, hold this single truth. That God is the ground of your being. And there is nothing that you could ever do to be separated from God's love. And holding this truth, Think about where you find yourself in life today and what are the implications of this reality? How do you see your world? How do you see yourself in light of God's love that holds you, God's love from which you can never be separated? Let's just take a few more deep breaths. You're ready, you can open your eyes, come back to the group. I'm curious if we can't chat for a second. Uh, what comes to mind? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
I don't know. It just it blows my mind. It still blows my mind. Yeah, that's great. Well said, Bill. John? Um, what helps me with this over the years is um, the simple biblical uh, verse, God is love. Hmm. He is love. There's a do love. He is love. He is good. God says he is good. He is faithful. That's just like, okay, that is the action. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, take that in mind thinking about the sun. The sun shines, and I feel the love of God. If it's cloudy, the sun didn't quit shining. Hmm. If it's night, the sun didn't quit shining. Just because I don't feel it, just because my circumstances look yucky, I didn't mean that God stopped being love. Hmm. His love is unconditional. That's just how God is. I mean, that's why He kept coming back in the book of Judges over and over and over. Not because they deserved it, not because they wanted it, because He is love. And he is Redeemer. And He, and he is the Forgiver. Jesus is love. Yeah. That helps me understand. Yeah, that's great. Well said, John. Thanks. Thanks. Emma? Um, I think when, like, when I'm experiencing shame or just disappointment in myself, when I also experience, like, like, I hold God's shame and disappointment for me, or, like, yeah. imagining what, right? So I'm not only holding my own disappointment, but like, oh, like, God's so disappointed for me. So, when you believe that, like, there's nothing that can separate the love of God, like, that gives you, like, it just releases you from all this pressure because you don't mm-hmm. have to hold God's disappointment and shame. Yeah. And you get to rest in the grace of just holding your own and that, like, God's holding that with you. Yeah. Right? So it really reframes, like, I'm no longer holding, like, this, like, really big weight, right? the disappointment of God, like, that is so much to hold. Um, so when it shifts to, like, resting in the embrace of God, it's like, like, this is just my own cheese. It doesn't You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. it changes everything. Yeah. It really all this pressure. That's great. Well said. Julie? I, I mean, I feel like, along with what, you know, Val and Emma were saying, like, when we had our eyes closed, I was just thinking about, um, just when he is the ground of your being, how it takes to be honest with you. Yeah. And yeah. I was kind of taken back to this time when I had these some women praying for me about a medical issue that I had struggled with for years. And the first time they prayed for me, I was really nervous and anxious because I didn't know what <laughs> that prayer time was going to be like. And they just had um, said, We're just going to pray that, you know, Jesus can come to you and you can kind of imagine in your head and I was like, okay, you know. And so I pictured him and then they were like, okay, well just in your head, just tell him what you want to tell him. And I just started screaming at him in my head. Like, who do you think you are? Where have you been? And um, he didn't, in my imagination, he didn't run away. You know, he didn't leave me. Yeah. He's been there all along yeah. and was with me and has never left. Yeah. And he was big enough to stay there while I yeah. screamed at him and yelled at him and cussed at him and yeah. and then embraced me, yeah. you know. And I just feel like just being honest where you are with him 
and not being afraid that, that he's mm-hmm. going to turn you away yeah. or reject you again is really positive. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. Um, this is why I think um, the, the attentiveness to this truth is really important um, because there's a huge difference um, between doing the next thing to acquire God's love and trusting that God already loves us uh, and then living life out of that love. Um, and secondly, uh, the preacher in Romans is really clear. Uh, much, if not most of life, won't feel that way. Uh, that we hope for something um, because we don't always experience it. And this experience of God as the ground of our being may be pretty fleeting. Um, And there may be moments, if not most of life, where we're not sure if it's actually true. And that's also okay. But that is the hope that we have. Um, I did it again, I think. Crap. Yeah, I did. 12.06. Let's enter into a time of uh, mission prayers. Um, I want to invite us... Um, during this time in our gathering where we um, share stories and pray about our participation in God's mission um, as both missional communities and disciples of Jesus. Um, And we we did this by thinking of breakthroughs and battles. And I wonder if both in the interest of of time and the space uh, that we have here, uh, if we couldn't um, enter into just a few moments of silence. Um, And I want to invite us to uh, think of a word or maybe the a name of a person that comes to mind um, in our particular context. Um, and after a few moments of silence, I'll invite us to share that word in sort of popcorn style and trust that God can hear and know all that's connected to those single words. Um, trusting that uh, as God loves us, God invites us into a mission with and for the world around us. Is this making sense? So let's um, enter into the quiet one more time for just a few moments. As you think of breakthroughs and battles in your world, in your own um, heart, and in your context, um, what comes to mind? I want to invite you to find a word. Or maybe a name that symbolizes that to which God might be calling you right now in mission. Holy God, we give you the next few moments. And these words uh, that we say out loud, 
that you know what is on our hearts and you know what is in our world. Um, that you receive these um, breakthroughs or uh, battles in the spirit in which we um, hold them. So here now, um, these prayers in single words. For these prayers, um, whether spoken or unspoken, God, we um, beg for your attention. Uh, that you would not be silent, um, that you would not feel distant, but that we would have a sense of you as the ground of our being, uh, nearby, holding us and holding this world uh, that you love. Through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.